Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening out there, Radio Land. It's Wednesday night. It's 8 o'clock in the West. We're having ourselves a scorcher out here on the West Coast, but I digress. It is time now for another wonderful, exciting episode of the NGSC Recess, featuring me, your main man, Ray Rome, a.k.a. Jerome Butler, a.k.a. my little brother's big brother, and also known as the last king of Raider Nation. Us here on the West Coast, you know how it is. We're the most underrepresented of the life. Our game starts super late at night. People on other reasons think our teams are soft, and we have flash as far as football, college football goes or any type of football. And that's what we're here for, to fight the West Coast bias one show at a time. And that's not to say that we don't have fun, too, because if you've heard over the last few weeks, we've had ourselves a hell of a time lately. But fighting the West Coast bias is never a one-man operation, so I'd like to introduce to you the one man that I do trust in this operation, my good buddy Josh Matson. What's the haps over there on your end, Josh? Good evening, Jerome. Um, it's rainy here, honestly, but other than that, all's good in the world. Looking forward hey. to the show. Oh, yeah, great deal. And, you know, we always have ourselves a good old time. And tonight will be no different. we got a lot of good stuff for you guys here. And we'll jump into that shortly as soon as we give you this word from our sponsor. This is the NGSC West Recess. The wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash, instant gratification. While waiting until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day. At DraftKings, it's like a brand-new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you can be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day, just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds and thousands of, sport, of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code SPREAKER to play for free. You can win part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code SPREAKER for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. And we're back here on the NGSC West Recess here, Raider Rome here with my main man, Josh Matson, And pretty good game last night, wouldn't you say, Josh? Uh, yeah, um, Golden State won the championship, and I think you're happy about that. Um, Andre Iguodala definitely uh, stepped up. Uh, actually, a surprising guy who stepped up. He has talent, obviously. He's played good throughout his career, so not all that shocking, but he definitely wasn't expected to be Finals MVP, I would say. Uh, but, yeah, congrats to Golden State. They were the best team all year. There's no question in my yeah, mind. 
I'll have to agree with you there, Josh. I mean, they ran the league from wire to wire. You don't get to see that too often in today's NBA. I mean, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, they showed you why they're the Splash Brothers uh, time and time again. And the interesting thing is they actually won by using the Mike D'Antoni style of basketball. Just space the floor and hit jump shots and pretty much grab rebounds when you can. The interesting thing is a lot of people never thought that a championship could be won that way. And Curry and um, Thompson, they showed you differently. And you got to like um, what Iguodala did coming in for game four, starting the last three games, and pretty much changing the complexion of the series with his athleticism and speed. It really kind of threw um, David Blatt and Cleveland for a loop there. But my final my final um, takeaway from this series is, even though Cleveland did lose, I, I kind of found a newfound respect myself for LeBron James in defeat. Because, I mean, Golden State should have swept these guys. LeBron took them on his back and was like, come follow me. We may not win it, but we'll we'll give it all we can. And it was a great performance by, by Cleveland. They'll be back next year. Golden State's just a way better team. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, uh, saying, uh, ditto on what you said about LeBron. I thought he was – he stepped up his game. Uh, I think a lot of people like to give him crap that he doesn't deserve. Uh, yeah, he hasn't always been clutch in the, you know, certain times of the games, but he's also is is also doing everything else on the court, including rebounds, passing the ball. He does everything. And he was doing it, you know, with a team that probably doesn't have as much talent as they probably perform this year. So um, I, they're, you know, another player away from probably – um, being able to win against a Western Conference team next year, um, most likely Golden State, and uh, I still would say Oklahoma City healthy will be up there too next year in San Antonio. So um, cool for Golden State. Uh, LeBron, uh, you know, he's LeBron. He's the best player in the NBA, So, and he agrees. So, yeah, Well, I will say next season, you will it will be a much more wide open Western Conference. I mean, you got the Spurs, you got the Warriors, the Thunder, teams like that, and I don't even see the I don't even see um what was I saying though? I don't even see the Spurs going away either. I mean, I know they're old as hell, but it seems like those guys they don't die too easy. Then and but in the East, Cleveland's probably the best team, so you could see Cleveland in this spot for a long, long time. <clears throat> Your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Cleveland, uh, they're benefiting from, uh, you know, the reality that the East is definitely not the strongest of conferences. Uh, there's teams on the on the rise in the East. I think I think Boston was a little bit impressive this this season, especially with the young talent they have there. So, um, I mean, they're not they're still probably a couple of years away from being contenders, but. Uh, Washington's a, a decent team. Atlanta had a good year, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not sold on on that team overall. I think they have a bunch of, you know, average or a little bit above average players, but they don't have that one guy that you need. Uh, maybe Horford uh, might be the only guy that they have that might be able to, you know, elite status like a Curry, like a James, who can get them over the hump. Uh, Toronto was, you know, a decent team this season. Um, I don't know. There's there's some teams in the East that, you know, will compete with Cleveland, but overall Cleveland's definitely 
above the rest. And in the West, like you said, there's a bunch of teams. Uh, I would say San Antonio, that age is going to catch up to them someday. It, it has to. It, I don't I don't think it can last forever. Um, when is it going to happen? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the NBA, now it's time to think about that draft. And I'm kind of hoping that the Lakers can pull in Jaleel Okafor and get this rebuilding process started in the right direction. Because once Kobe Bryant is out of here, I mean, it, kills, it hurts me to say this, but I think once LeBron, once Kobe's gone, then the Lakers will be able to accelerate the process a little bit more because you got that $30 million albatross hanging around your neck. I love Kobe um, as much as any other person. You know, my screen name on AOL is Mamba. So, But he, it's, it's time for Kobe to do something different so we can kind of change things up. Then the Clippers, they're going to be good for about another season or two, but I believe that their championship window is closing also with um, DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul. So it's going to be an interesting Western Conference, be an interesting um, season next year. But once again, congratulations to Golden State. You were the best team all year long. You deserved it. Yeah, the Clippers made a trade, too. Uh, I think they traded Barnes. and uh, Didn't they trade Barnes? I thought I heard that recently. Yeah, they got rid of um, Spencer Hall and Matt Barnes and pulled in Lance Stevenson. So yeah, I think I think, I think they're trying to improve their team through shot treatment. I mean, we all know Lance Stevenson from his crazy escapades with LeBron James in that Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years back, blowing kisses to him and whatnot. It was a really, really weird situation there. But <laughs> if, if he can get his offense going, I think he could help the Clippers out a little bit. So it'll be something to see there. For sure. Um, yeah, uh, Stevenson is hes a character for sure. Uh, he's got issues, I think, is what most people say. So we'll see. Oh, uh, yeah, we will definitely see. And it was good. It was good talking about the NBA here, here with you, Josh. And that'll probably be the last time we talk about the league for a while. Although next week, I'm sure we'll talk about the draft a little bit, see how the West Coast teams made out. But other than that, yeah, we had ourselves. That was a good little um, segment there. I agree. Man, what the hell is wrong with your team, Josh? Seriously. Lucky. <laughs> the Patriots go do some spot gate whatnot, and now now even now you even got baseball teams um getting in on the act. You got St. Louis spying on Houston and whatnot, and this has actually turned into a federal kind of deal. Ooh, dang. You kind of realize the seriousness of that kind of situation there. They're calling it corporate espionage and things of that nature. Uh, what's your thoughts on what's going on with St. Louis and Houston? Well, um, <laughs> uh, this is probably a bigger deal than uh, anything New England's done, I, guess, I would say, uh, if the FBI is involved. Uh, I guess they access their database, Houston's database, to determine how they scout players, how they uh, even went as far as to check into who they're interested in trading for. And, and, you know, a lot of what Houston has done over the years to get better uh, young talent, they basically stole their their way of recruiting players and, and everything. It's pretty it's a pretty big deal. And no, never mind the fact that any type of hack into to gain it, access to anyone's system is illegal. So, uh, yeah, uh, St. Louis has gone above and beyond just cheating. They've, they've committed, you know, uh, violations of the law. So, and of course, 
let's be fair. No one's actually said, well, the FBI seems to indicate that they've done it, but they're not guilty until they're proven guilty, of course. So, but yeah, it's a big deal. And, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, uh, it's shocking to me. I never would have thought that the Cardinals would, or any team for that matter, would try stealing other people's way of recruiting and players information. And, and I read a report today that St. Louis is not the only team in major league baseball that's done this. It's just the, team that they have the most information about. So I expect more to come out of this maybe with more teams involved. So we'll see. Sounds like a pretty interesting situation there. But I mean, anytime you got the FBI involved, you're thinking about some serious stuff. And although Houston, it doesn't seem like their way of recruiting or signing players has helped them very much over the last few years as they've been one of the worst teams in the league. But, I mean, I don't want to be a jerk about it. You know, that's neither here nor there. Maybe the reason well, the they one, stuck it. The, the one thing that the one thing is Houston. Houston has a lot of young talent in the minors, and that's what St. Louis is interested in, because Houston has one of the best farm systems in Major League Baseball. So that's that's what St. Louis is going after. How they're getting the how they're you know finding these players out of call uh, high school and college. So anyway, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. There's no biggie. I was just saying on the field so far, it doesn't look like it's helping them. But you are right, though. Houston is bringing in a busload of talent from their farm system. They just brought out, out that guy, Carlos Correa, and Jose Altuve was um, one of their farmhands, I believe. Then yeah. they, even had, they even had J.D. Martinez from Detroit, but he, he came up with Houston, but he plays for Detroit now. So they're, they're not too bad. Yeah, they have a lot of talent. Uh <laughs> Almost everyone on that team right now in the in the lineup they they uh they drafted or um you know yeah drafted is basically what I would say um, Chris Carter I believe they um, and Springer George uh, Springer is another guy so yeah uh, they've, they've done good and their pitching staff is uh, coming around uh, as well so anyways go ahead yeah well they're in first place this season they're taking it to Colorado tonight. So yeah, Houston. Yeah. I mean, they, they, this may be the beer, this may be the year for them to actually get back into that playoff run. But we'll see how that goes at a later time. Yeah, I mean, we don't talk about baseball too much on here, but that's where we are with it this week. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. So we had no NASCAR this week. Although, I mean, you were talking to me last week though about that race in the rain. I know you was pretty upset. Kyle Busch got the win. That's my first time actually watching a NASCAR race from beginning to end, and it kept raining and it yeah. kept raining, and it started to annoy the hell out of me myself. And I can tell you yeah. were getting kind of frustrated with it. Take us to it. Well, it it was Kurt Busch, by the way, just to clear that I'll up. Say, but I'll say, Kyle. He's, yeah, it's okay. It was Kurt Busch who won, and and yeah, I, I, there was three different times they stopped the race for rain. I, I just wish if they knew it was going to rain like that, why not just cancel the race until Monday? I know, it doesn't make any sense, but they wanted to get the race in on Sunday because I understand that uh, everyone's vacation this, was starting this week and that's, everyone wanted to get home, so they wanted to get it done on Sunday because they, they have the week off, obviously. Um, no race this weekend. So, Kurt Busch, yeah, he... The race didn't go the distance. It went a little bit over halfway. 
I hate those types of races. It was it was frustrating, and it was you know it's hard to watch as a fan when they're running a race that probably could have waited one day and uh, wouldn't have been rained on. So, anyways, yeah, Kurt Busch won. Nothing exciting about that race. He won basically by by being out front when the rain came, and they decided that they couldn't they couldn't get the race in again. So that's how it ended up. I mean, Kurt Busch has ran good all year, so no. It's not like he stole something that he might have, or he would have won probably anyway. So who knows? Uh, yeah, pretty cheap, pretty cheap way to win, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he 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 was running good. He's been running good all year, so it's not like he wouldn't have, you know, been somewhere near the front anyways by the end of the race. So yeah, it's still a good deal though. I I enjoy watching that race, seeing seeing your team go up and down. You have no idea what's going to happen next. It was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, it can be a, it can be fun. Uh, DraftKings having their little thing makes it more interesting for people who, you know, don't necessarily follow NASCAR overall. It gives people a reason to, you know, take interest in something that they probably don't normally follow. And it's, it's actually if you get involved and watch racing, there's a lot of strategy involved, and, and that's what makes it exciting. It's not. Yeah, they're going around in circles, but there's a lot of things going on in a race that that people don't even really, you know, they don't understand what's going on. So that's why a lot of people call it boring and whatever. But it's, it's it can make fun to watch for sure. Yeah, well, I won't lie to you there. I was one of the people who thought NASCAR was boring and dumb and what have you. I actually sat down and watched myself a race, and it's actually pretty intriguing. Because you gotta, you gotta like see how much gas you can get before your team pits and all this. What place you're gonna be in, and all this that you don't want to wreck. It's, it's pretty fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. So next up, uh, we'll see our girls made it to the next round here in this women's World Cup, taking down Nigeria one to zero. Got ourselves a little bit of a wait here to see who wins between China and Cameroon. Abby Wambach got the goal. They put them ahead 1-0, and they held on for the 1-0 victory. So you think they're good enough to win it all, Josh? Um, yes. Well, I, I think I think they are. Uh, they're, um, I don't know who they're playing in the round of 16 yet. I haven't. I know when I looked earlier today, they're, um, we're still waiting on. Uh, I know England won. Uh, so I think they're playing England is they're playing next round and you're right China and Cameroon are in the um, winner of that will play the United States granted they win their round of 16 matchup against I believe England or uh, I think Colombia might have been the other team possibility for them I it could be Colombia anyways the point being is U.S. needs to win their round of 16 game and they'll be playing either China or Cameroon winner so um, that's favorable for the U.S. No, China and Cameroon is are not the strongest teams. They, you know, benefited from being in, you know, good brackets. So that happens, and it's it's actually good for the U.S. Canada is definitely going to have a say in who wins this, uh, you know, World Cup, and uh, among other teams like Sweden, who gave the U.S. Um, a run for their money. So it's you know it's. Fun to watch, actually. Uh, 
and it's brought along a little controversy along the way. I don't know if you heard about Stephen A. Smith's comment that he made on SportsCenter that's caused quite a stir. Um, he said uh, they were doing highlights of one of the top ten plays, and uh, six was a German uh, girl hitting a free kick over over the line, and and he said uh, the defenders. I, I don't know what team they were playing. I, I I think it was a Swiss, and and they missed the free kick with their head, and he goes. He goes, oh, I guess she didn't want to get her hair messed up. So, um, <laughs> so um, a lot of ESPN writers and uh, people involved were angry, and they started tweeting, and it's created a, a huge stir at ESPN because the women who work for ESPNW in the magazine are are they're they're not happy. They're angry as can be, and and they think he should be fired. And it wouldn't be the first time he's been fired from ESPN. So uh, he does, he's always creating controversy. So we'll see. Uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, everybody knows that was just a little innocent type comment. You know, I mean, Stephen A. Smith doesn't seem like a masochistic woman hater to me, personally. It was just a joke that he made about watching a soccer match. People are so PC and they whine about everything these days, you know. I mean, I hope we yeah. never have a situation like that on our show where somebody wants to come after us or where we're just making an innocent joke, you know. Because, I mean, you and I, we, hate, we don't hate anybody, you know. So it, it's just a good time. And I'm sure Stephen A. Smith is the same way. I watch his show. He's a pretty funny guy. He's better than Skip um, Bayless, in my opinion. But that's neither here nor there, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's in one way you can look at it like, C.M.A. Smith has a history of saying things that have caused a little bit of controversy. And let's be honest, <laughs> some women, I don't want to say, okay, let me let me rephrase what I'm going to say. Um, he probably shouldn't have said it. Let's just put it that way. Even if it was meant to be a joke, it's, you know, it. I can see where some women would take offense to that. I, I, I do, actually. So, but yeah, he meant it as a joke. It was never intended to be, you know, something that was supposed to, you know, be sexist or, or whatever. It, but anyways, it is a big controversy, and and it's making the rounds that apparently at ESPN more specifically, there people that work there aren't happy. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a PC thug, you know. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was our weekly rundown of this here Women's World Cup here. We're supposed to have a guest tonight. Um, we're supposed to have Jim Paskowitz on, probably a, a very passionate, uh, probably a more of a passionate Raider fan than myself. There aren't very many people that I could say that about because I feel like I'm one of the greatest Raider fans in history. So, But <laughs> this guy, he's a pretty smart guy, and when he gets in here, if he gets in here tonight, he's going to jam. So you'll love him as much as you love our other guests the last couple weeks. But now we move on into some college ball here. We Last week we had um, Hawaii and Colorado. Hope we didn't put you to sleep too much with those cats because it was, it was pretty bad. Here we got ourselves um, a couple of teams that are a little bit more better this season. And we'll begin with Josh out here in the Mountain West talking about the UNLV running Rebels, a pretty interesting football team given the fact that they've got in head coach Tony Sanchez. Take it away, Josh. Yeah, um, UNLV, uh, 2-11 last year, 
on offense, they were ranked uh, 120, uh, 99th overall in rushing and 44th in passing, um, 76th combined overall on offense. Um, defense, they were 120th against the run, uh, 49th against the pass, and 122nd com- overall. So not very good on defense and not all that impressive on offense. Uh, UNLV opens the season against Northern Illinois on CBS Sports Network on September 5th at 4.30. So um, that should be an interesting game to watch um, for some people. The home game, September 12th against UCLA and and November 21st against San Diego State, also are going to be on CBS Sports Network. ESPN2 will air their game against Fresno State, and one of the ESPN networks is going to air the home game against Boise State. So UNLV um, is going to get some coverage on TV for once a little bit next year, which is um, an an upgrade compared to the years past where they rarely are seen on TV. So it's a good step for UNLV to get some exposure. Um, The battle for the Fremont Cannon is on October 3rd, which is the annual matchup of UNLV in Nevada. Um, So that should Always, you know, Nevada has led the way recently in those games, but UNLV is looking to change things around. Um, UNLV is coming off uh, academic progress rate bowl dance suspension, basically. Um, what, uh, the NCAA implemented the, that requirement where teams maintain a, a GPA of, I think, or a, a rate average of 930. And they made the... That's a minimum finally here in June on the 26th. So they are no longer under um, bowl game suspension for their academic progress. So that's good for them. As Jerome mentioned, they hired Tony Sanchez. He's um, he's coming out of uh, Bishop Gorman High School in Nevada. He's a local product of the Las Vegas area. And he, he um, has coached them to six um, uh, in each of the six seasons there to an 85-5 record with no losses at another Nevada school. Sanchez also coached 25 players who went on to play Division I football. So that is a positive for sure um, for UNLV. Uh, Their biggest strength probably at linebacker and safety. They're pretty stocked up there. Their biggest question mark is probably – Obviously, having a first-year coach, and they had to, they had to rebuild both their defensive offensive lines. Um, 2015, their biggest game or most winnable game in Mountain West is probably San Jose State on up October 10th. Um, so that will be a big game to, to gauge where they're at in the season. Um, UNLV thought outside the box, hiring Sanchez, who you know turned a local school into a powerhouse in Nevada. A quarterback, he'll be able to start in senior, Blake Decker. He's rated as a two-star by um, rivals. He finished last season with 15 TDs and 18 interceptions. Uh, backup battle, Kevin Thompson, who's a redshirt, and Dalton Sneed is a freshman. And they'll between those two, one of them will be, be the backups this year. At running, running back, sorry, running back, UNLV has a ridiculous amount of running backs I've never seen. A roster so full of running backs in my life. Uh, it was long. 
They have seven total running backs on their roster. I don't know what they're going to do with them all. The best is Keith Whitley, a junior, and he's likely to see the majority of the touches. So they're going to have to convert some of these running backs to other positions, I would imagine. Um, I don't I don't think they could possibly justify having more than three or four running backs on one roster. Uh, the best player on the UNLV offense is likely Devontae Boyd. He's a two-star sophomore who had 64 catches for 973 yards last season. Offensive line um, going into 2015, is a, it's a complete overhaul. They lost everyone from last season. So they brought in a freshman, Justin Polu, who is likely to be one of the immediate fill-ins at, out of the three starters that they lost. And uh, on defense, they brought in Kent, uh, Kent Bear to coach uh, the defense. He used, he used to coach under Bruce Snyder. Ty Wilhelm and Mike McIntyre. He lost his job at Colorado this past offseason because um, Colorado, as we mentioned last week, uh, didn't, couldn't stop anyone. But Bear has had success in college football, so it's actually a good hire. He was a Broyles Award finalist in 2000, 2002 for Notre Dame. So I think they brought in somebody um, with experience for UNLV um, I think it's a good hire. That's somebody they needed who who's had success. Didn't quite work out at Colorado, but I think it's a good hire. On uh, the defensive line, Sonny Sanatoa and Dominic Baldwin will be leading the show. Um, they have some experience, but they struggled getting after the quarterback. In fact, UNLV in general wasn't great at getting after the quarterback. Um, they have depth at linebacker Ryan Nicol. Mikulinen, it will need some uh, some more uh, practice at covering tight ends. He struggled with that last season. At defensive back position, Penny Villa and strong, uh, is a strong signal, likely be the leader of the defense. He's a he's decent. He he definitely can uh, you know get after the quarterback and he can stuff the line. Um, Kenny Keys will be alongside Villa and he needs some improvement at tackling. So. Uh, they have some work to do at, uh, with keys anyways. As a team, UNLV has lots of issues and, and uh, you know, with academic issues. And obviously they have a whole new coaching staff. So they're definitely not expected to be contenders of any, you know, stretch of the imagination. But they also have another big deal on the horizon where they're going to have a – build a new 50,000 – um, capacity stadium for in the Las Vegas area. So that's another big step for UNLV. Um, they're actually drawn well despite their record um, in attendance. They're just they're just not a talented group yet. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think I think uh, Mike Snyder is the step in the right direction. He seems to have a good rapport with. Um, around the league. Uh, he talks with Pat Hill out of Fresno State specifically um, about some, you know, things that he can do to be a good coach. Pat Hill has obviously had success over the years when he was at Fresno State. Um, so he's talking to the right people. Uh, it should be interesting to see what happens. What do you think about UNLV going into next year, Joe? Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, UNLV, I thought they were going to be on the upswing. 
because they actually made a bowl game back in 2013. It didn't go well. They got blasted by North Texas in that heart of Dallas Bowl. And I thought I thought they'd be on the upswing. But last year having the APR problem, and they've only had four winning seasons in the last 28 years. So, I mean, there, there's a lot to build on there. The APR really didn't help the situation. They were pretty much sunk before they even got started last year. But there's a good thing, though, here for Tony Sanchez. Just look towards coaches such as Art Browse, Gus Malzahn, and Hugh Freak. These guys, while being while leaping from high school to college, they've had success while coaching their teams. Although Art Browse was an assistant for a couple of years in college before he actually got his first job. But if, if Tony Sanchez needs somebody to look at, take solace in, in these guys because they're one, they're the best in the college game right now, next to Nick Saban almost. There, and here's an interesting tidbit for you: Snoop Dogg's son, Cordell Brodus who plays now for my UCLA Bruins, he actually played at Bishop Borman under Tony Sanchez. So Tony Sanchez, he's got, like, a lot of connections here. So if he can bring, if he can parlay these connections into UNLV, I think they could be successful probably three to four years down the line. And with it being a local guy, say UNLV does hit it big, I don't really see him trying to leave. Say they you have, like, a 9-10 win season and somehow get into a BCS game. And people in Vegas, they are pretty much excited about this hire and they do think it's a step in the right direction. I do myself, although games with Northern Illinois and UCLA are going to test, going to test UNLV's medal early. They get blasted in both of them games. It could be a long season. If they're competitive and can even defeat Northern Illinois, because I'm not going to say they're going to beat UCLA, but if they can somehow beat Northern Illinois, you could see a team that could have an outside shot of the 6-6 six and six season and quite an and a outside bowl bid. So UNLV uh, is going to be pretty interesting to take a look at there. What's your prediction for their record this season, Jess? Oh, I can't. I can't say more than four wins this year. Uh, Northern Illinois is a game they can win for sure, but UCLA and Michigan, those games, uh, they can't win. There's no way. Uh, Idaho, Idaho State's one game that they better win if an FCS opponent. Uh, but after that, it's you know it doesn't look you know it doesn't look good. Uh, I don't see them winning many games in the Mountain West and they're definitely not beating their out-of-conference schedule either. So uh, the one game that they could win in an upset is against Nevada because rivalry games, anyone can win those. That's Even the worst of teams can win those games. So that might be a game they, they need to shoot for this year. I think they need to start, you know, they don't want to set the bar too high this year. Uh, I've said it, you know, to the point where they play as good as or competitive as they can be. Mm, sounds good. I'll be looking forward to seeing UNLV this season. Next up, we got Washington State here on the ledger, but we'll get to them in just one second here. We, we're up against another break here. This is the NTSC West Recess with Raider Rome and Big Josh. We'll be right back. The wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments. Just instant cash, instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand-new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you can be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day, just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds and thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code SPREAKER to play for free. You can win part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. 
Use promo code Spreaker for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. All right, we have returned here on the NGSC West Recess. And now we can we will talk about a team here who who actually is pretty interesting to me. You know, they got Mike Leach as their head coach, and I think he got a raw deal at Texas Tech, but that's neither here nor there. And that is the Washington State Cougars. They got they went three and nine last season, won a couple of Pac twelve games behind the arm of superstar Connor Holiday, but he's gone now. Their rushing was only was a horrific 122nd in the nation last year. Their defense was 38, and by having Connor Holiday um, as their quarterback, they did finish first in the nation in passing with a 477 yards per game average, but they couldn't stop the pass too much, being 119th, allowing 296.6 yards a game, and they finished 96th in total defense. They have a pretty decent schedule here in September. They open up at home with Division II Portland State, they may lose at Rutgers, then they got themselves a winnable home game with Wyoming. Then they'll come out to take on Berkeley, a game they got um, Oregon. They may not win that. Oregon State will be an interesting game. We'll talk about them later on if we have time here. Then they got Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado. They come out here to take on UCLA November 14th, and they'll close it out with the Apple Cup. While we have, while we have beat this into your head time and time again, Washington State, they have very little trouble moving the ball up and down the field under Coach Mike Leach's pass first and off an offense. They have seven returning starters on offense. But, however, the big man, Connor Holliday and, and Isaiah Myers are gone. Washington State's offense was ranked number two in the Pac-12, and they lose Holliday, and they did lose Holliday at, at four game last season. Luke Falk came in, and he completed close to 70% of his attempts. He had 903 yards, eight touchdowns, and interception. He gets to take the reins this year in Holiday's stead. Their top wide receivers last season, Vince Mell and Isaiah Myers, are gone. They're playing on Sundays now. They do have River Craycraft and Dom Williams to fill their shoes this season. On offense, the main weakness for Washington State, they score a lot, which means that their defense doesn't really get off the field too much. It's widely accepted that the type of leech, um, offense that Leach runs is successful as a season, but it doesn't do your defense any favors because as quick as you score, they're right back on the field. So it's kind of like a street ball kind of game. Washington State's run game isn't anything to cheer about, but it's not really that bad as a group when they're called upon. And on defense, they, have, they, they hired Alex Grinch. Their new system will be to load the defense up with speed over bulk. And you could use that in the situation with, with just a high-powered offense that's going to score real quick. Their defense is led by senior linebacker Jeremiah Allison. He's accepted that they can't rush the quarterback, and they can't really do much with their defensive line with the players they have. So what they're going to do is implement an interesting system with coverage and protect the sideline to sideline. Just pretty much try to bend but don't break in a way. The best way, I think, for Washington State to show improvement from last season on defense is to force turnovers and get their defense off the field. If, the, if this system isn't successful, it's likely that Washington State's not going to be either. Another important thing that can't go unnoticed last season is in the first quarter of games, they gave up 107 points. It's like, damn, how does that happen? But as a team, there's optimism that this team can become bowl eligible this season as they feel that their defensive system should be effective with the group that they have. On offense, they have very little worries with Luke Falk running the show, as he was impressive in his time on the field last year. So I wouldn't worry too much offensively. October, however, is going to determine what happens with this team. They have five tough games in that month, a visit from Stafford and road games at Cal, Oregon, and Arizona. 
the Cal game is winnable, but I think Cal is one of those teams. They're kind of like Washington State. They're trying to make a move themselves. Oregon and Arizona, those are going to be pretty much experience gathering games. They're going to catch a beat down there, but you can gather experience and save it for another day. Lucky for them, they don't deal with USC this season, but they do have to battle South Powerhouses, UCLA, Arizona, and Arizona State. And the Cougars will face them as well as Stanford as part of a nasty four-game stretch that does begin October 24th and ends November 14th. And the bad news for them is they have a very early bye week, appearing September 26th after three games. The program, however, which often plays as the underdog, would have benefited from a break later on in the season. Their, their, kind of, their game, though, however, that's kind of like a trap game, and it can be a bit scary, is that Wyoming game September 19th. Washington State, they're right now in no position to take anyone lightly, especially a Cowboy program capable of playing keep away with their backfield tandem of Brian Hill and Sean Wick. In my opinion, Washington State, a couple of years ago, they were a bowl team. They lost to Las Vegas Bowl to Colorado State. And last year, their defense just gave it away for them. They'll score a lot of points. They'll probably give up a lot, too. And obviously, Washington State is going to be probably hard-pressed for them to get more than five wins. That stretch in October is going to probably do them in. But they'll score a lot of points. Your thoughts, Josh? Yeah, uh, Washington State is definitely a team that that um, their own systems kind of uh, actually, in a way, I would say are negative, too. Uh, their offense being successful has never been a um, – a good thing for their defense. So uh, that that's the issue. If their defense can play better this year, they're going to be bowl eligible. If their defense plays anything similar to what they did last year, there's no hope for them to make a bowl game. They they can't – well, they didn't stop anyone last year, and I just don't see the Ben Dobrink system being effective. They're not a team like – well, here's an example. New England was running that for a while, kind of men don't break until they, you know, got Revis and all those guys. And you have to have the right players to do that type of system, and I'm not sure Washington State actually has that type of defense. So the only hope is uh, that they're able to move up and down the field and and control the time of possession. So we'll see. Uh, there's no, no doubt their offense is – going to score, it's the defense that everyone needs to worry about. Yeah, it'll be interesting there. And they usually play UCLA tough, so I'm kind of leery to mark that as a win. But if, but Washington State, though, their their system is pretty fun to watch. And it looks like we may not have Jim tonight. I mean, it's 42 here, and he hasn't wrote or said anything. So we, we just go move on here. We'll catch them another time down the road somewhere. And next up, we got the second of our Mountain West teams here. Josh, talk to us about the New Mexico Lobos. Yeah, um, the Lobos are coming off a season where their Russian was uh, fifth in NCAA Division One, which is good on offense. And then, of course, they backed it up with a 123rd ranked uh, passing attack. Um, their defense. Um, very not very good uh, overall. They especially against the run, they were 119th, and against the past 88th overall for a combined defensive rating of 123rd overall. Um, so not not very good. But um, they're hoping to change that this year. Um, the 2015 New Mexico Lobos hope to improve 
on their 314 yards rushing a game. They accumulated with their pistol-based triple option. While the Lobos do not have a penciled-in starter at QB this season, it isn't necessarily um, a crucial or, you know, negative thing that, um, like, most pass-heavy teams would worry about. Um, Coach Bob Davey uh, called upon Lamar Jordan last season for the final four games of 2014. Um, He is an excellent runner, but he isn't, you know, someone you can rely upon to pass the ball. So that's definitely um, going to be a hindrance. Um, Palmer only completed 53% of his passes, had six TDs, but he also had five interceptions in his four starts. Um, the other option that will be considered next uh, this year is Austin Apodaca, uh, who had originally committed with Washington State, team we just covered, uh, but decided he didn't want to go to Washington State, so he went to a community college in 2014 before deciding to go to New Mexico to play football. Uh, Jarrell Presley, their running best running back, uh, had a 1,083 yards last season, a dozen touchdowns. And they had uh, Terion Gibson, who also um, had quite a bit of yards for 809 yards, to be specific. And he had eight touchdowns um, to add on to the scores for New Mexico. On the defensive line, the Lobos will be uh, will need to improve for sure uh, against the pass. Um, they were only 92nd in the country, as I mentioned. Uh, they're switching to a 3-3-5 base defense this season. It is likely that Ricky Bennett's going to fill in the fifth defensive back position. So um, we'll see how that works out. New Mexico will benefit this year from playing four teams who only had four wins last year. Um, that's a good thing. And they have an FCS opponent, Mississippi Valley State, who is not a pushover for a FCS opponent. So uh, New Mexico will definitely need to come to play for that game. Um, it's not a question of – it's more of a question how many wins will New Mexico have this year. It could be anywhere from four to six. Uh I would imagine four is more likely than uh, six. And the big games on the schedule, obviously, will be against their FCS opponent. That's a win for them. It should be, anyways. Tulsa should be a game they can win. Tulsa is a team that had come off not a very good season last year. They weren't able to stop much of anyone. Um, Arizona State, um, that's a game they won't be able to win, most likely. They'll play Wyoming. Uh, the Rio Grande rivalry against New Mexico State, that's the game they're expecting to win for sure. Um, then Hawaii in Nevada. Well, they have Nevada and then Hawaii. San Jose State, Utah State, Boise State, Colorado State, Air Force. So those last, you know, five games I just called off, probably not games they're going to be able to win. Maybe Hawaii is a team they might be able to put up a fight against. But overall, four wins to six wins is the likely scenario. What are your opinions on New Mexico this year, Jerome? Well, the good thing for New Mexico is they seem like they could be able to have some success as a run-first team and a pass-happy conference. 
the key for them, I think, will be tightening up their defense enough to be able to keep the ball on the ground instead of having to look to the air more often and then attempt to have to quickly make up a um, a large deficit. Because Lamar Jordan doesn't seem like the type of quarterback that be that could be able to do that on a continuous basis. So New Mexico, use your ground game, stay in the game. Like I like the I like the way they played against Boise State last year. They were able to pound the ball around the ground and score a lot of points before ultimately falling short. So if they can run the ball effectively against these Mountain West opponents, they'll give themselves a chance in every game that they play. They should be able to defeat New Mexico State. I mean, they they can do that. I mean, New Mexico State is pretty much a pushover. I think UI and I know the people could beat them, but I'm not here to be mean or crude. So, <laughs> yeah, but, no, I agree. Yeah, then they've got the FCS game, so then you got a couple of wins right there. Yeah, and I think New Mexico, you could find three wins here in this Mountain West. Here, you got winnable. You got a winnable game. You could probably beat San Jose State and maybe Hawaii. And the the Tulsa game is either here or there also. So I'm going to go ahead and give here five wins for New Mexico, and they should be happy with that. Bob Davey continues to build himself a good football team, but I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. 2016, if this team doesn't get to a bowl game, Davey may be on the outside looking in as far as his job goes. Your thoughts? I agree. Uh, There's a lot of talk in New, uh, New Mexico that if he doesn't win this year, or get them to a bowl that he might be out. So <laughs> he might not make it to 2016. It's possible that um, they'd make him another go if he doesn't make a bowl this year. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, he needs to get he needs to get this team winning. They they are hungry for bowl games. So we'll see. Yeah, but I mean the people in New Mexico. Wow, they're being rather impatient. I mean, because I remember when Davey took the job, all he had, he inherited was a bunch of crap and garbage. I mean, you got to give them time to clean up there. And they're not, like, getting beaten by 40, 50 points like they were when he first got there. So if they do fire him after 2015, I'd consider it a premature move myself. But then again, I'm not a booster. I'm not giving money to this program. So whatever they do is on them. I just think it would be stupid to fire him if he wins five games a season and he come up to short of a bowl. And next up here, yeah. we have our final team of the night. We've got the Oregon State Beavers. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in their basketball team because I have a family member playing there coming next season. But we're going to talk about their football tonight. They went 5-7 and seven last season. They, their rushing left a lot to be desired, finishing 107th in the nation. And, but their passing wasn't too bad behind Sean Mannion last year. They finished 32nd with 275 yards a game. Defensively, they were kind of a middle-of-the-road team as far as stopping the run, being 51st. Passing the ball, you were able to move the ball pretty interesting on them. They they finished 87th. And this season here, let's see here, so far, they got a winnable opener against Division II Weber State. But a trip to Michigan could be a big um, trouble spot for them as you got Jim Harbaugh looking to make a move there. So then you got San Jose State and Stanford. Stanford's tough, but I think Oregon State should be able to take that game at home in Regional Stadium. And this looks, so far, looking at this schedule, this looks like about a 500 team to me. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on here. Seems like Oregon State, they're preaching themselves a new era motto this season after their beloved head coach, Mike Riley, bolted to go to Nebraska. Oregon State hired Gary Anderson away from Wisconsin. Anderson rebuilt Utah State most recently and is considered one of the best hires this offseason at any major program. He was the head coach when Melvin Gordon rushed for that 400 yards last year. I remember that game. But, however, the biggest story out of Oregon State 
besides the home run and coaches, their big loss with a wide receiver with Richard Mullaney announcing that he's going to Alabama. They also added a new offensive coordinator in Dave Baldwin who will implement an up-tempo spread offense. The issue will be, however, who gets the job to lead that offense. All three quarterbacks in the Oregon State offense have no experience. Nick Mitchell and Marcus McMarion are freshmen, as well as Seth Collins, who recently just enrolled also. But from what I've been reading so far, Seth Collins seems to have the early edge. But Lindy's gave me that information, so don't quote me on that. The Beavers, they do have some talent on offense, especially a running back with Storm Woods, who looks like he's ready to carry the load again this season. They also have Victor Bolden, at wide receiver, who's coming off of a 72-catch, 798-yard season. Their offensive line is actually one of the few in the country who's returning all five starters this season, and that can only be a positive to whoever wins the starting gig. On defense, however, there is also change, not only in the scheme, but the defensive coordinator as well. The Beavers hired um, Kalani Sataki to switch the defense to a 3-4. The positive on defense, however, is the talent that they have on linebacker, especially sophomore Daryl Songhe. The secondary lost a lot this offseason, and they'll call upon Larry Scott to lead that group. Chester Strong will highlight the safety position, and at corner, it's up in the air who will win the starting gigs. It's likely Dwayne Williams and Steven Nelson who will be involved in that battle. So, like I said, looking at this schedule here, Oregon State, it looks like win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. Although the toughest stretch I see is probably right after the Colorado game where they have to take on Utah, UCLA. They get kind of a winnable game against Cal and Washington. They host Washington during that Civil War going up to Eugene. That's going to always be tough. Although a couple of years back, the Oregon State gave them all they could handle before Mariota pulled the game out of his ass at the end. So, Oregon State, they're not going to be um, frightened by the Oregon Ducks. Right now, looking at the schedule, I'll say Oregon State, they'll sneak into a minor bowl. They'll get six wins, and that'll be pretty much a pretty good start there for Gary Anderson's first start. Well, how do you feel about Oregon State there, Just? I think they – well, um, I think the issue is quarterback for sure. Um, when you don't know who your quarterback is going to be going into the season, um, I'm sure that's a little bit of a worry for everyone involved. Um, but Oregon State's a team that that definitely can make a bowl game, like you said. Uh, they have talent. They're not, you know, they're not pushovers. They will definitely show up and give a team a fight. Um, I, I, you know, I'd say Oregon State's probably going to be anywhere from five to six, six wins this year. Um, they definitely have a good running back, uh, like you said, in Storm Woods. Um, their offensive line is returning. That's always a positive. So we'll see. Uh, you know, I like what Oregon State did this off season with their hires of um, uh, Gary Anderson. That's a good hire. So um, it was a little bit of shock to lose Mike Riley, but you know those things happen, and they they definitely made a good recovery from losing him. So we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Oregon State looks. You know, they're one of those mystery teams coming back every season. So you never know if they're going to go nine and three or six and six or whatever. But it'll be interesting to keep my eye on these guys starting the freshmen. If they can defeat Michigan, I mean, look out. Well, I don't personally think it'll happen. That was our Oregon State preview. Check back with us next week. We'll have four more teams to run through with you, and we hope that we were able to give you a little bit of insight on these teams. And before we go here, Josh, give me one. Give me your prediction for the U.S. Open this week. 
Oh, okay. Uh, U.S. Open. Well, <laughs> I'll, well, my heart wants Ricky Fowler to win. Uh, but who do, who I think is going to win? I I think you'd be hard to not say Rory McIlroy or Jordan Spieth are going to win. But so I need to give an official pick, I guess. Uh, I guess my pick for this weekend will be. Um, Rory McIlroy. I think he'll, I think he'll win the U.S. Open, and and so we'll see. Uh, Jordan Spieth is definitely going to be in contention too. Yeah, Spieth is a, a boss. I'm gonna have to go with the local um, golfer myself and say Ricky Fowler wins this tournament. Okay, yeah, good. I I hope that he does. He is a former Oklahoma State alum. Um, and I'm a big fan of Oklahoma State, as I've mentioned before. So hopefully he he does good. Um, and it wouldn't hurt to see him win because I want to see his uh, girlfriend on TV again. So um, <laughs> uh, she is a looker. Anyways, uh, yeah, that would be great if Fowler could win. Um, some sleepers probably. Uh, well, last year was the winner was Martin Kamer. Um, that's a guy maybe to watch out for. Uh, Adam Scott, obviously, Bubba Watson um, is definitely never somebody to count out. Uh, I'd like to say Tiger Woods could be in contention, but I don't think anyone really thinks he's going to be. In fact, uh, I think Bovada or whatever they're called has him at 50-1 to to win. So, And I think they also have a a prop bet on uh, if he'll even make the cut, and I think that's 25 to 1, I think it was. So um, we'll see if Tiger plays good. Tiger is uh, saying he is going to be, um, he's ready. So, well, but he said that at the Masters too. And he actually played good at the Masters, um, which is a positive. Yeah, well, Tiger's so, yeah, always one of my, oh, go ahead, Josh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, Tiger's like one of my sentimental favorites, but I think his game is gone, you know. He'll probably finish somewhere away in the back. So that's why I'm going to go ahead and hitch my wagon to the local kid, Ricky Fowler. I mean, I know he belongs to the Oklahoma State, but he was a, he was a Southern California guy first. So, hey, we're going to yeah. go with him. Well, okay, that you, your comments about Tiger Woods leads me to a question that I wanted to ask. Um, do you think Tiger Woods will ever win another, um, not, you know, a minor tournament, a a major again in his career, or is he, or is he done? As far as as far as winning majors, I think that's a done deal. But you got these young golfers such as Jordan Spieth now and Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler taking over the game. Tiger, he did have one hell of a dominant streak over about a fourteen or fifteen year um, loop. But I mean, Father Time catches up with all of us, and it seems like Tiger Woods is no different. So you may see him win a few of these here Ricky Dick tournaments here and there, but as far as the big money, I think that's kind of done. What do, how do you feel about Tiger and his um, chance of winning a major? See, I kind of agree with you. I, I I struggle to. He hasn't played good for years now, and I think his back has definitely been an issue. And maybe sometimes I even think a little bit of an excuse, but um. And I think he has a lot of off-the-field issues, too, or off-the-course issues. I should be more specific since it's golf. But um, I wouldn't – I don't want to rule him out. I, I definitely think uh, 
I think he could win a major still. I, I think eventually he's going to – his game will turn around, I would think. Um, but then again, uh, people have been saying that for years now. So he might be done. I, I'm actually kind of leaning towards him. He might be, actually, which is yeah. um, not not good for the PGA Tour as far as um, um, Tiger not being good. But as long as he's in the tournament, that's good for the PGA Tour anyway. So. Uh, well, me, I try not to um, use race too much in my post. But, yeah, if Tiger Woods can improve, it may start to turn off some African-American viewers to the game because, I mean, there's some people who actually don't really enjoy the game. They just watch it mainly to see how Tiger Woods does. And that that's kind of sad on their part because they're missing a great sport. But, yeah, Tiger's got to start winning just to keep the African-American um, fans um, involved in the golf game. And with that, that's our show for the night. So we'll be back next week. We'll have four new college teams to talk about. We'll have more exciting things to discuss with you about. And we'll have ourselves another guest who I think we'll be able to find as alarm clock. But that's neither here nor there, you know. So for Josh Matson, my main man, I'm Jerome Butler, a.k.a. the Sports Butler. This has been NGSC West Recess. Good night, America. We love you. Gone. Good night.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.